Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are beginning a new series at the moment called What Happy Couples Know. And as I said before, whether you're, whether you're a couple, whether you're in a relationship or whether you're not, I believe there's something in store for each of us because relationships are not just romantic, are they? If you're a human being, you're in relationship with someone somewhere in some way. It might even just be the person sitting next to you at church or it could be your neighbors or or whatever, there's, there's significant journeys for each of us when it comes to connecting with other people. And so, whilst this series really has some significant principles that, that apply to marriage as the most acute relationship that we experience in our life, the most intimate of relationships that we experience that is up to us, you know, we choose it, it disapplies more broadly. So, I do believe that no matter where you're at, this is going to be significant. So, don't be turned off by the idea of a couple, because I think this is going to apply to each of you, particularly if you're a young person in the room, not to name you, but you are the ones who are most likely to enter into a new relationship at some point in the future. And so, I'm hoping that this might shape, give you some things to think about as to what it might look like to be a happy couple in the future. To, uh, to, to begin our time, I wanted to share with you a little bit of a frustration that I've been having lately. Um, many of you would know that uh, we have a new puppy in our household. And um, now, I, get, I figure I get two free sermon illustrations out of every new member into our household, and then I have to start asking permission. It's true of all kids, it's true of your spouse, in fact, it's probably true of us for permission first, but I've got a puppy, and so I get two free ones of those before you get to start rolling your eyes and go, okay, Josh, shut up about the puppy. And I've already done one, this is number two. So, we've got a new puppy in our household, and I've got to tell you that last time we had a, a puppy in the household was about 15 years ago. Uh, we had a Labrador, his name was Rolf, I was working full-time, and I had no idea what I was doing. He, I was 21 thereabouts, just about to get married, and he just ripped up everything and, and did whatever. He chewed all the dials off the front of our washing machine and all sorts of things that Labrador puppies do. And so, I knew that going into this situation, I'm a mature 36-year-old man now, and so I should know how to bring up a puppy and get it going the way, get it going in the right direction. And so, when we had decided that it was time for us to welcome this new little guy into our household, where did I go? I went to YouTube to check out what on earth does it take to raise a puppy, and so I did. And I watched hours of YouTube videos, hours and hours of YouTube videos. I'd like to think I invested this much time in what, researching what it takes to be a parent, but I don't remember. Um, and so, but we watched hours of YouTube videos, and what does it take to bring up a puppy? What do you do? Do you crate train it? Do you not? 
how do you take it to teach her to go to the toilet, you know, all this stuff. And, and so, I've watched all these videos, but the problem with watching YouTube videos of dog trainers is that that dog trainer on the video is recording the one that got, they got right. And is recording, this might be the 300th dog that they have trained. And so there's something about their non-verbals, all the things, their skills, their gifts, which means they're just more naturally attuned to getting this right. And so, of course, when we bring our little Bailey home, I, my expectations are up here of what we're going to get this dog to be able to achieve. And then the first night <laughs> hits. And my expectations of a, a, you know, a dog that will sleep in a crate and shut up. <laughs> what a reality check. Expectations, hopes, because that's really what it was. I looked at what it meant to be a, a, a pet owner, a dog owner, and I had these dreams. I had these hopes. I had these desires that... I had in my mind of what it was going to look like and what our life would be like with this new little companion into our family. And all of those hopes and dreams and desires were sky high. And they were, I don't know what, what they were shaped around. Maybe they were shaped around my, my ideal picture of, of puppy ownership or my ideal pictures of what it would be like to go on holidays with a dog that would come back to you when you called it that would walk nicely on the lead, that wouldn't chew your shoes, all those sorts of things. And it was those pictures, those hopes and dreams in my mind that ultimately were what I brought into this relationship with this new little puppy. And now I don't know if you've got a dog or not, but I do know that you have relationships. And I think we all do this. We all enter a relationship with hopes, with dreams, with desires that we want to be a part of the relationship that we are hoping to be a part of in our life. And so we all bring this box of hopes, dreams, and desires. And in this box... We place all sorts of things about what our, our marriage relationship is going to look like, or indeed any relationship. But predominantly we're talking marriage, but I think this can be true of any relationship. And so we bring this box of hopes and dreams and desires. And they, it, those, dreams and, those hopes, dreams, and desires could be shaped by all sorts of things, by our experiences from where we came from as a parent or as a child, what our family of origin was like what we saw on Facebook of someone else's life, whatever it is that you have in your mind of dreams, hopes, and desires, we all have them, and we all bring this box into our relationship, and it can be made up of all sorts of things. It could be, as we enter it, we have a, a thought about, I just went and raided the kids thing up the back there, so sorry, young people, you got less toys this morning, but it could be sort of, are we going to travel or are we not? Have we traveled enough or... Where are we going to plan to go in our relationship? What sort of car are we going to drive? I'm going to be honest, most of us guys don't picture a car or anything like this. 
Maybe it's a Mustang, convertible, maybe it's a ute. But I don't want a stereotype. That could be, that could be your, your jam as a, as a lady in that, that, which is great. But so often as a parent, it's suddenly the, uh, the picture of the uh, convertible gives way to the picture of the SUV <laughs> with the extra car seats in it. Or the minivan, if, if you know, plenty of kids. So maybe it's your, your expectations of, they're all going to fall off, aren't they? Are you going to have a dog? A pet? Is it going to be a cat? A duck? Chickens? I wonder. How many kids? One? Two? Ten? You joke. I know someone, I know a couple of members of our congregation that have got quite a number of kids. And so how many kids are you going to bring? How, how many kids are we going to bring into the world? Is it going to be any? Are we going to be able to bring any in at all? What's that going to look like? A dream, a hope, a desire. Who's cooking? Who's cooking? Is, is, is the person that cooks going to do the dishes? It's an interesting thing, that one, because if you cook, surely it's fair and reasonable that the other person would do the dishes, right? But I've got to tell you, some people cook cleaner than others, and it feels like if you cook and choose to use 46 different pans, this is not a wound in our family, by the way, but I feel like you've got to take some responsibility for that. If you want to use every, every piece of crockery and, and pan and pot in the, in, the, in the entire kitchen, then maybe you should take, I'm just saying, maybe we're going to be doing some marriage counseling in a couple of weeks' time over this. What else have we got? Yeah. Oh, what do we got here? You can't even see this, but if you want to zoom in from the cameras online, we've got a frog. A kid with a frog. I'm not quite sure why I chose that one. What sort of career are we going to have? This one is a um, air traffic controller, I believe. What sort of career are you going to have? Where it's going to, where's it going to take you? Bus driver, cup of coffee. How is your career, who's, whose career is going to take precedent? Whose career are we moving for? yours or is it mine? Does your career have a chance, has the, have, does your career have precedent to get to say what, it, what the relationship looks like? Who's going to move away? How are you going to be away for extended periods of time? Are you going to need to be deployed? Are you going to need to travel, fly in, fly out? What's it going to look like? All of these things are parts of the box of hopes, dreams and desires that we bring, you and I, into a relationship and that can be, as I said, a romantic one, or it could be just a friendship. But in some form, we have all of this stuff, hopes and dreams and desires. And I've got to tell you that these are not bad things, are they? Is there any, any one thing I mentioned there bad? No, of course they're not. They're all good things. They're good desires, good hopes and dreams that we have as a part of our journey and they could, they're all formed by our family of origin, by our experiences. But the thing is, that whilst we bring this into our relationship, what's the common denominator when it comes to, to everything I've mentioned here? Do you know what it is? It's me. This is my 
box of hopes, dreams, and desires. It's not actually, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Because actually, actually, to be honest, yeah, it kind of is. Because I chose them, didn't I? So they obviously resonate with me in some way. So we all bring this box of hopes, dreams, and desires, but it's my box. Do you know what that means? When you get into a relationship, they've got their box and you've got yours. And what we find so interesting is that that this box, the center of it, is me. It's I. And so when two boxes, when, when a person brings their box into the relationship, and the box has all this stuff in it, which is our personal hopes, dreams, and expectations, and then this other person brings their box into the relationship, what do we get? Suddenly, it's not a box of hopes and dreams and, relation, and, and, and desires anymore. Suddenly, it looks a little bit more like expectations. Head down, baby. Sorted. Suddenly, our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, when it clashes, or when it encounters someone else's box of hopes, dreams, and desires, suddenly looks a little bit more like expectations. And we discover that what we do when we enter a relationship with us as the middle, us as the center, me and my desires and hopes and dreams, what I end up doing is I put them on you and say, well, as far as I'm concerned, what I want to see achieved in our relationship is that we will travel before we have kids, that we will have these sorts of cars, that I want to live in this sort of house, that I would like you to do these sorts of things. I would like you to cook so when, and I will clean and I will work full time and you will stay home with the kids. All of those things become not hopes and dreams and desires anymore. When we enter a relationship, we give this box to someone and we say, here's what I want from you. Please do it. It seems like a little bit of a trite illustration, but I think it's significant because it's absolutely and fundamentally true. That when we enter a relationship, what we do is we drag some expectations. And the, and the problem so often becomes, and I promise I'll get to the Scriptures in a minute, the problem so often becomes that when two eyes, two boxes of expectations collide, one of four things happen. We give up. We go, I can't do this. You are a nightmare. I'm out. And to be honest, that's some people's story. So we give up. We just walk away. We take our, but do you know what we do when we walk away? We grab our box and we give it to someone else. Here you go, Glenda. <laughs> but we package it as these. Here you go, Glenda. These are my hopes and dreams for our new relationship. And before you know it, boom, expectations. And I thought this was really cool that this box was probably made well before I was born. Um, and it's a little dusty, it's a little banged up. And I think it, that's probably the way that it exists for most of us, to be honest. The box of expectations that we drag around and give to people 
is a little banged up. It's seen a bit of life. It's been panel beaded a few times, maybe repaired, patched up from the experiences that we've had of other people not doing what we want them to do with our relationships. And so oftentimes what we do is, one, we walk away. Another option that we have is that we give in. We give in to the other person's box. We go, you know what, whatever, man. I just, I don't like conflict that much. And so I'll just do what you want me to do. And we give in. And maybe that's someone's experience, that we just give in to someone else's expectations. The other option is we power up. We go, actually, no, no. You are going to do what I want you to do because you are the person that I chose to marry and therefore this is the way it's going to be. Does that work very often? Do you remember a series I preached a little while back um, called uh, some, re- some assembly, Reassembly Required? Do you remember that? And I talked about the four C's. Coerce, convict, two others. Control. And I said, that's the C4 method for blowing up a relationship. That's powering up. And so often what we do is we power up with our relationship. And do you know what we call that in the 21st century? That's called domestic abuse. When we power up and impose our expectations, our box of hopes, dreams, and desires on someone else. That's what happens. And that's a bit uncomfortable, but that's the reality that Maybe we need to have a bit of a think about the way that we might be imposing our hopes, dreams, and desires on someone else. And the fourth one, what might we do? We compromise. We take a little bit out of my box, and we take definitely the kids, definitely the car, um, and the baby with the frog. We're going to take a little bit out of my box, we take a little bit out of your box, and we make a new box together. And these become our hopes, dreams, and expectations together for the relationship. But do you know what happens when we compromise? Everyone loses. Because for many people, the, the goal of, of marriage and the goal of a relationship is that is compromise. I get a little bit of what I want, I get to go out two nights a week, you get to go out two nights a week to do, spend time with my friends, etc., etc. But you know what happens when we compromise like that? What we end up doing is fighting for our rights. Because what's been put in the, the shared box is still mine. Isn't it? So the expectation of a car, when we earn enough money, is still an expectation. It's still mine. Which means when you don't do that for me, are we any further ahead? No, we spend the rest of our relationship fighting for our rights because a compromise is a contract. It's an agreement of what it is that we are going to do, you and me, to make this relationship work. And when I don't get my two nights a week out with my friends, you got two nights, how come I didn't? We might let that slide for a week, but we certainly won't let it slide for two. But hang on a second, what about when kids come along? Maybe we need to put them first for a little while, but hang on, in our box of expectations, there was that we would get personal time, and I'm not getting my personal time. It's not fair. Compromising doesn't work, friends. All it does is it tries to cram 
two boxes of expectations together and we spend all of our time fighting for our rights. It can work for a while and you can compromise through a marriage completely and it can be fine. But I've got to ask you a question. You happy with fine? I'm not. I want something better than fine. I want something better than fine. And to to finish this thought before we jump into the passage, I wonder for you, when we drag this box of expectations into a new relationship, and we are expecting someone else to do something for us, what we end up doing is we create a debt-debtor relationship. And this is why it fundamentally doesn't work in a relationship. You might go, oh, it's not that big a deal, Josh, whatever, it's fine. And that's cool, you can think that. But when we drag expectations into a relationship, what we do is we create a debt-debtor relationship. What do I mean? I mean, Paul, you owe me 500 bucks. We'll catch up about that after the service. Cool, 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 cool. You owe me 500 bucks. But you know what's really cool is it's my birthday. It's not, but it could be. And when it is, Paul's going to give me a present. And it's going to be a $50 in a card. It might even be a Bunnings gift card for $50. How cool is that? Thanks, Paul. But am I really grateful? Because he still owes me 500 bucks. He could take me out for lunch and pay for lunch. And I'd be a great Paul, I don't want you to pay for my lunch. I want you to give me my money back. I want you to give me what you owe me. Every gift is not a gift. It is a repayment of a debt until we are square. And so we apply that principle over a relationship. And when I walk around expecting you to do certain things for me, all you can ever possibly do in the relationship is pay back the debts that I think are upon uh, that you owe me in my life. My expectations, my debts are that you will do the dishes every night. My debt, my expectation from you to me is that you will work full time and I'll stay home with the kids or I'll work full time and you stay home with the kids. And as soon as you do those things, you pay off the debt. But the problem is you don't ever do anything more than that. You never get into a positive balance in the bank account. All you end up doing is paying off the debt. And friends, that illustration helps us understand why when we lob expectation, when we drag expectations into our relationships, it damages intimacy. It damages the, our ability to trust one another. Because all we end up doing is paying off debts. We never end up going into the positive. All we ever end up managing to do is scrape is to get back to equal. I can't bless you. Paul can't bless me with a, with a gift if he owes me something. Does that make sense? So what do we do with this? If this is the way things are, what do we do with this? Well, Jesus talks pretty clearly about this. In Mark's gospel, he's talking to his disciples. 
And if you're familiar with, with the story of the disciples and the story of Jerusalem and Israel, one of the things that everyone is expecting of Jesus is that He would be the Messiah, that He would be the one to save Israel. They're not quite sure what it's going to look like, but it seems pretty clear that across the whole nation of Israel, they are expecting, they have hopes, dreams and desires for what everything's going to look like when the Messiah comes. Everyone has a picture in their mind. We Remember Palm Sunday? It was like the, um, it was like, what did we do for the king a couple of weeks ago? What's the word? Coronation, that's right. Palm Sunday was a bit like Jesus' coronation. They were bringing him in to Israel, in, into Jerusalem to become king. They all had expectations of what he was going to achieve, what it was going to look like. All of those expectations were shaped by hopes, dreams, and desires. And we pick up on a conversation that Jesus has with a couple of his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him, that is, they came to Jesus. And they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a loaded question, if ever I've heard it. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and, and the other at your left in your glory. Now, James and John, brothers, and they've asked Jesus, they say, Jesus, it's pretty clear that you're unique. You're not like anything we've ever seen before. We are disciples, we've seen Him do all sorts of stuff. Cure the sick, allow the, lame, allow the lame to walk, cast out demons, all sorts of crazy stuff. And He says, okay, so we reckon you're the guy we've been looking for. You're the Messiah, you're the one who's going to be King of Israel, It's going to free us from all the oppression, It's going to help us become the nation that we're meant to be. What are, what are those things? hopes, dreams, and desires, and they put them on Jesus, and they come out like expectations. Can you just let one of us sit at your right and at the other at your left in your glory? We, need, we, want to be, we want to be your guys. We want to be the guys that you look to. We want to be the second and third most powerful people in your kingdom, because you're, Jesus, you're going to be king. We know it. And so we want to be the guys. We've got some hopes. We've got some dreams of what this kingdom's going to look like. We know what sort of house we're going to live in. We, we know, Jesus, would you do that for us? Jesus responds to him, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup, that is the cup of suffering, that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Are you going to be able to take all that we're about to go through in the next few days? And they said, we, we can. Yeah, yeah, we got you covered. We know we're going into Jerusalem. You're going to be a crowned king. This is going to be great. We'll, we'll, we'll join you. And he said to him, all right, you will. You will drink the cup I drink. And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right, to sit at my left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been Prepared. 
And when the ten, as in the other, the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. What was their indignant, what was their outrage about? What about us? What about us? How come they get to sit at your right and left? And that's not fair. What about me? What about my hopes, dreams, desires? And Jesus calls them together. Let's huddle up. I've got to tell you some truths. He calls all the disciples. And he says, you know. You've seen this. You, you get this. You, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, their officers, the emperor, all the people that you see in our culture, those that are ruling people, You've seen, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Not so with you. That's not how you're going to do things. As my kingdom... Jesus says, as my kingdom becomes reality in this world, if you are going to be my followers, if you're going to be the ones that are going to herald in this new way of doing life, the way you do things is not going to look like the way they do things. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, talking about Himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus paints a picture right here. That when, when confronted with the expectations of his disciples on what they would what he would do for them how this was all going to look their relationship with him and and the whole thing when presented with all of those expectations he says okay pause all of that that's not going to work it's not going to work it's not going to it's not going to do it you can't just power up over other people you can't just drag all of your stuff in and expect other people to do stuff like you see the Gentiles doing. It's not going to be the way things are. Instead, you need to become like a servant. You need to put aside all of that and enter into the relationships of your life shed of the expectations of what you might gain. And instead, be a servant. And he goes on to say that, I'll illustrate this for you. I'll illustrate what this is meant to look like for you in the world, in your relationships, in the, in the, in the experiences that you're going to have. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to use my authority, more that I have, I'm going to lay it down for your 
sake. All that I have, I lay down for your sake. For that is what Jesus did. He was and is God. And he didn't think that something to be grasped. But instead, he came to earth as a human being. And gave his life as a payment for the sin and death of all of humanity. A perfect being. Sinless in every way. He used that for the sake of those around him. And he says that when in our relationship, I'm going to give you that before I ever ask anything of you. I'm going to bring that to the table before I ever ask anything of you. I will serve you before I ask anything else of you. And so we think, when we think of our relationships, when we think of what it is that we might be called to do to get this whole idea of relationships right, we land on a pretty profound truth. We land on the truth that for you and I, we can't bring this with us. We can't bring this with us and dump it on someone else's lap and say, I need you to achieve this for me. Because Jesus says, that's not how it's going to work. He says, first you need to bring nothing. Expect nothing. Give everything. And then see what happens. That's what he did for you. And now I get that that's strange because we've all got one of these boxes. We can't, we, we can't not have one. You can't cruise around without expectations. You can't cruise around without hopes, dreams, and desires, can we? No, we can't. But Jesus says, you be you, that's okay. But when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to the people that you're going to do life with, you can have your box, but don't put it on someone else's lap. Because it's not theirs to hold. You need to bring yourself without all of that and see what it is that I will build with you. See what the relationship can look like without the expectations. Because when we bring the expectations, we've already discussed, all we do is create a debt and debtor relationship. But instead, Jesus offers a different way. What if you and I, in our relationships, were to enter them this way? I wonder, would it have changed your journey? If, you've, if you're a married person, I wonder... Would it have changed your journey thus far to have not lumped all of your expectations, relabeled as hopes, dreams, and desires on someone else and expected them to fulfill them? I wonder, would it, your journey have been any different? I don't know. It's not for me to decide. But all I, do, all I do in this moment is paint the picture of what Jesus offered as a way into relationship. That brings me to the answer to the first part of our question today, of what do happy couples know? 
Happy couples know that we bring nothing into the relationship. We bring no expectations. We bring no needs that are left unmet in our life. Because the second that we do that, we're asking someone else to pay a bunch of debts they might have never signed up for, that you never told them about, that you never might even have known are there. But the second that we do that, we damage the intimacy. So what do happy couples know? We know that we can't bring anything, any expectations in, into our relationships. And when we approach it like that, we actually step into the way of Jesus for our relationships. We step into it as a servant. We step into it in a way that allows us to experience the love that someone else has and wants to give us. And we create a, a platform where they can, rather than just pay off debts and keep us content, we can be blessed. We can be blessed. We can be happy no matter what life throws at our relationship. We can be enjoy one another's company regardless of whether the dishes got done or not. We can experience relationships in the way that God intended, that they would be joy-filled, that they would be life-giving. So what do happy couples know? Happy couples know that we bring nothing into the relationship. And so I'm going to write the, the band back up and acknowledge that this lands at a pretty heavy place for Mother's Day, well, for any day, really. But I land here because I think it's a significant thing to remember. And then maybe for some of us, we need to take a really good look at what our box looks like. And, and, and so I've got two questions for you to reflect on for this week. Before we get into the following weeks, which are more of the how we go about doing this, I just got two questions for you to explore. And you're not, if you've got a spouse or a partner or whatever, you're not allowed to talk about this with them. Okay? Is that all right? This is an exercise in self-awareness, not pointing the finger. So into this week, I've got two questions for you. What's in your box? What's in your box? And who have you given it to? What's in your box and who have you given it to? Because I believe when we start to recognize those, the answer to those two questions, it takes us in the, on the next steps towards discovering all that God has for us about what happy couples know. Let's pray together. Loving God, I thank you for this idea Lord, you, you've got the best for us in relationships. But Lord, we know that when we drag our hopes and dreams and desires and place them on someone else, it robs us of the joy we can experience.
And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to receive this. For, Lord, we might have had no idea that this was even a thing. We'd never ever given thought to what we're asking of someone else. But Lord, to discover that it might be robbing us of the intimacy, we've been wondering about why it's been missing for so long, or why it never existed in the first place. Lord, we ask for your grace to receive that truth and the courage to see it for what it is. And the courage to recognize that you painted a picture of a different way. A way where we give of ourself on behalf of the other and expect nothing in return. For that's what you did for us. You gave before you ever asked of anything in return. So Lord, may we model our life in that way. And discover all that you have in store for us. In your name we pray. Amen.